Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And our guest today is William Peters, and he's one of the speakers at the upcoming Afterlife Symposium that I've been speaking about. And if you'd like to meet both of us, we'll be live in Scottsdale, Arizona, September 15th through 17th. And you can go to afterlifestudies.org to find out more. Now, about our guest. William Peters founded the Shared Crossing Project to raise awareness about the profound healing experiences that are possible for the dying and their loved ones at the end of life. He leads groups that prepare people for conscious end-of-life, including explorations of the afterlife. Between 2007-2009, William lived and trained as a medium with John of God in Brazil. This transformative experience helped prepare him to later create and teach the Life Beyond Death group series, as well as the Shared Crossing Pathway Program. William's own near-death experiences and various shared death experiences inspired him to create the Shared Crossing Project. And if you want to learn more about William and his upcoming Shared Crossing Project programs and workshops, feel free to visit sharedcrossing.com. So I'd like to say, William Peters, welcome to We Don't Die Radio. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. This is a world I don't know much about, and I'm super excited that we get to meet face-to-face in September. Yeah, me too. That'll be a lovely conference, and uh, really excited to meet you and others that will be coming to engage about this increasingly, um, that's always been an important topic, but now it's getting a lot more attention, this question of the afterlife and our you know, capacity as human beings to communicate with uh, those beings on the other side. Yeah. So let's hear a little bit about you. You are a psychotherapist, family therapist as your background. Is that correct? That's correct. I'm a, I'm a marriage and family therapist, licensed, uh, living in California, uh, in Santa Barbara, California. And I'm a, a staff therapist at the Family Therapy Institute. And then I also, as you mentioned, uh, run, uh, founded, and direct the Shared Crossing Project, as well as its research arm, the Shared Crossing Research Initiative, uh, exploring, uh, you know, basically the methods that we have created uh, to facilitate shared crossing experiences. This experience, these experiences, where people basically report that they feel they've received communication from. Uh, their loved ones, typically it's their loved ones, from the other side. And it usually happens around death, both before death, uh, during a death and dying experience, and uh, afterwards as well. Mm, it's pretty incredible. I'm really looking forward to hearing about this. How did you get into this in the first place? Uh, did something happen that brought you into the world of wanting to research these shared crossings? Thank you. I'm, I'm chuckling as you ask that question because, you know, I, when I was, you know, growing up, I never thought I'd be uh, doing the work that I'm doing now. And because, the, you know, when you're in the the field of death and dying, if you will, it's um, I don't think that many people kind of set their sights on this no. child. Uh, so yes, it is. It is absolutely my um, key experiences, if you will, that brought me here. And really, the first one was when I was 17 years old. 
skiing at Squaw Valley and Lake Tahoe mm-hmm. and had a high-speed skiing accident, crushed my back, and immediately was catapulted out of my body and found myself sailing away from my physical body. I was really in no pain at all. I was enjoying the beauty uh, and majesty of the universe. I had a life review going on the same time as I was sailing away from my body. And then I was in this tunnel and very much at peace and enamored by this all. And then I saw this light at the end of the tunnel and I realized, I was like, oh, wow. At first it was just amazing. And then I realized I'm dying. And I realized I did not want to die. Mm -hmm. And it really arose in me quite quickly. And this isn't what a lot of near-death experiencers will report. In fact, most near-death experiencers will report that they're so uh, enthralled and drawn to the love that they don't really want to go back to their human life. But for me, I was very clear I had not done my work. Mm -hmm. I felt like I had a mission and a purpose in this human life. And at 17 years old, uh, I wasn't wasn't done. And so I pled with uh, that light, which I or referred to as God. I grew up Catholic, mm-hmm. and I, you know, begged to go back. And just for the reasons I mentioned, I want to go back and live my life. I have work to do. I, I, I you know, and God very gently and lovingly pushed back on me and said um, telepathically. I never really heard the words. Just kind of landed in my being as make something of your life. And I returned to my. To, you know, to the ski slope and went about living my life, although I was changed very deeply yes. uh, from that experience. I didn't think about it, didn't even mention that experience uh, for about 10 years, but it did transform me in meaningful ways. I find myself, after graduating from college, uh, signing up to work uh, with in Central and South America with the, the Jesuit International Volunteers, which is a liberal arm of the Catholic Church, and working with the poor and, you know, in the missions, as they call them. It was nothing about it was proselytizing. It was entirely about social service and social justice, which I loved. And so I, through that tour of duty, I ended up, uh, it was about four years, and I ended up in Guatemala and Peru, and there was a great deal of, um, there were civil wars going. So I was really put face to face with a great deal of human suffering, uh, human dislocation, uh, illness, pain, and death. Uh, and that was really opening my my mind and perspective about how, just how painful the human experience can be mm-hmm. and how brutal we can be to each other. But I also learned a lot about uh, courage and compassion and tolerance from the people that were living in these wars. Uh, most of the the victims of this were the, obviously the poor, yes. and a lot of the uh, Aymara Indians, the indigenous people of southern Peru. And so there was a whole shamanistic element that I was learning there as well about uh, how they see this human life as a journey, uh, a part, a stop on the human, on the soul of the of the human being. So they were much more at peace in a certain way, not ups, not upset and not vocal about the atrocities, but. At the existential level, they had a peace about themselves, about um, seeing this life as temporary, and there was something, um, you know, beyond this that was 
going to come that was benevolent and meaningful. Okay. So with the, so I had those experiences early in my life. Uh, I also, like, returned from Peru. I worked in the in San Francisco as a social worker during the midst of the AIDS epidemic, and that was very intense. You know, at that point in time, um, they didn't know that much about the HIV virus. Uh, there was a lot of fear about, a lot of judgment about the people who contracted um, the HIV virus. And of course, in those days, it, it basically was a terminal diagnosis and the deaths were quite brutal. But what I learned is I worked with a lot of these, primarily uh, men, because it was in, in the area I was in, it was impacting mostly gay men. Yeah. I, I learned that these men at the bedside of their dying brothers were having mystical experiences. And they would come and talk to me about them, and I was quite interested in them. Mm -hmm. So I learned early that there were these extraordinary experiences where they felt that they were visited by loved ones, that they often would express that it was like I was pulled out of my body and and I went with my loved one somewhere. Um, there were all these phenomena that were quite meaningful and we would gather and I was a, you know, social worker and I was open. So we'd gather and, uh, and talk about this. I remember going to an encampment of homeless people, uh, in a fourth floor of an abandoned building and they were gathering and I came and we were, they were talking about the death of one of their, um, you know, friends, brothers, what have you. And they were sharing, like it's like a campfire. They were sharing what they each experienced. And it was very mystical and very spiritual and very meaningful. This, these were the early experiences that taught me that death is a lot more than, there's a lot more going on mm-hmm. um, than, than we give credit to. So I had another near-death experience in an ICU where I just had a blood imbalance and was floating above my body for about four to six hours and very much at peace again. But I stayed very much uh, in the earth realm. Uh, and I recovered from that. And then at this point, I was very interested in, in what, what, is, what happens at death? What is my truest nature? And I was with my grandmother when she was dying, and I heard her talking, uh, yelling, actually, at people in her room. And she was, you know, I walked in one day, and she was very vehemently engaged in the conversation, looking at the ceiling. Her eyes were <laughs> fixated. And I realized this is something real here. I was kind of could feel a bubble around her, like she was in a different dimension. Mm-hmm. I started taking notes on it and went back to my uncle, who was the elder in the family at that time, and compared all the the notes that I took. And he said, "Oh my God, those are people from her life fifty years ago." And oh. and I said, "Oh my gosh!" And the content matched up and everything. So this told me, and now now in our research, and this is well known, these are called pre death visions. Mm-hmm. But this is just another data point. Um, they got me interested in eventually getting into Zen hospice, hospice work in San Francisco. And it was when I worked in hospice on a 24-bed open ward hospice in San Francisco that was a public um, hospital, so there were a lot of indigent people coming through, which basically meant they didn't have a lot of caregivers for Mm -hmm. them, except for the volunteers and the volunteer hospice workers, and also it meant that their stays could be rather short because they'd often be transferred from another hospital with very little time to live. 
But this was really a beautiful opportunity both to care for people at the end of their life, but also to be present with them as they were transitioning. And one afternoon, uh, I was working with a man we'll call Ron, and I was just reading him a story, and he was semi-conscious. I don't even think he opened his eyes. In fact, I know he didn't even open his eyes during the whole time that I was reading with him. But during this story, at one point, I popped out of my body, and I was suspended above my body and looking down at my body and his body. And then I realized he was right up next to me, also suspended in this other dimension. And he was smiling, almost as if to say to me, check this out. Wow. Check this out. Now, I didn't know what this experience was at the time. I don't even think I stopped reading. I don't know how much time I spent up there mm-hmm. with him, but I know that it was pleasant. And I knew that it reminded me of my experience in ICU, uh, my previous near-death experience a few years earlier, where I was just suspended above my body in what I would call just my consciousness. Mm-hmm. So I came back into my body at some point and went to my supervisor, a lovely um, director of that location, a Zen practitioner, and I said, I share with him my experience. And I was very excited, and he was very equanimous, as most Buddhist practitioners are. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, William, that's just phenomenal. I'll let it go. So I did let it go, although I did have many more experiences there at Zen Hospice of that type. Um, always different, but feeling like I was being pulled into the afterlife with the people I was working with, and very uh, blissful, very loving, very intimate experiences, and ultimately very meaningful, and affirming that there was some continuation to our uh, human consciousness beyond uh, the after human death. Um, and then, you know, my health collapsed. Um, from if I'd suffered from chronic pain from my skiing injury, I crushed, crushed my back, and I'd really, you know, was in a great deal of pain. And it, it was getting worse, and I actually contracted Lyme disease. And I you know, I ran across, this is a long story that I'm going to truncate. Hmm. I learned about John of God in Brazil, this amazing healer. spirit, healer, yeah. healer of who brings in spirits from um, disincarnate spirits who are benevolent and loving. And so I made a decision to go there and I brought my you know, my family, my wife, and my, at that time, 10-month-old daughter. It seems kind of crazy now. We're on a plane heading to the middle of the Brazilian rainforest. <laughs> uh, but we did it, and long story short, after two literally just mystical years of, you know, meditating, you know, six, seven hours a day and being worked on in this loving ashram, spiritual hospital, if you will, I received an, a, a gradual, nothing happened like instantaneously, but over time I received a healing and my back is about 90% better and I have, you know, able to live my life, you know, actively as I never was able to do before. I always was working very hard, and but I was always compromised and in pain. Mm-hmm. Now I enjoy the freedom of a largely pain-free life, which I'm grateful for. But after that, I came back um, and moved to Santa Barbara in 2009, and I was at a conference, and I heard Raymond Moody speak, and I'd always wanted to hear him talk, and he talked about an experience called the shared death experience. Yes. Yes. And the shared death experience is this experience where somebody dies, and their loved ones 
caregivers or even bystanders report that they felt like they went into the afterlife with them. And they, it's very much like a near-death experience. In fact, those of us who research this, Raymond Moody included, basically say it's identical to the near-death experience in terms of variety of phenomena. None of these experiences are alike. They're all very unique. Uh, but it's, 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 it's just identical to the near-death experience. And I, w- uh, you know, my body started to shake. I was so excited when I heard this. And you know, I talked to Raymond afterwards and said, you know, I-, I know this experience. I've had many of them. But something else, I think I may know how to help people have this experience. Now, as a family therapist, um, I was working you know, in Santa Barbara at the Family Therapy Institute, working a lot with grief and mm-hmm. um, you know, death and dying. It just happened to be something that people would come to me for. I was very, I've always been very good with helping people with pain since I have so much experience with it. And so this was a big part of my practice. Well, when I came back, I decided I would start groups. Um, the Life Beyond Death group was the first de- group I would start on this whole topic of, well, exploring what do we know about what happens after a human death? Is there life after a human death? And I found that these groups were incredibly well-received here in Santa Barbara. And so I've been running the Life Beyond Death group now. I probably, you know, there's the Life, Death, Life Beyond Death 1, 2, 3. And we literally go into all the phenomena that we know about, um, about end of life. And we also even study what happens in the spirit realm, uh, what we know about the spirit realm. And Great. so, but then the, then the, what people got most interested in, I would say, and certainly nationally was the methods that I and other, my other colleagues were developing to facilitate the shared death experience. I realized that there are signposts, if you will. There's a, there's a, a map. There's a geography, there's a landscape that goes from this human life into the next life. And I, having traversed this a variety of times, um, felt like I could serve as a guide for people. So the Shared Crossing Pathway Program is a program that does two things. It it prepares people uh, basically psychologically, emotionally, uh, spiritually for death and dying for themselves, I should say aging, decline, and eventual death for themselves mm-hmm. and their loved ones. And I say it that way because most of the people that take our group now are people that are just interested in getting prepared for this great event of, of dying. Uh, they know they're going to have it. They know their loved ones are going to have it. So they're getting ready in advance. They're getting prepared. And then at the, the second, once we've done these preparatory steps, which are what I call kind of lightening the soul and reconciling our lives and dealing with our unfinished business in a very loving way, uh, then we, I, we teach them the protocols, the shared crossing protocols, which uh, are the specific steps to facilitate a shared death experience. And, and then they practice these protocols regularly with their loved ones um, subsequent to the training. And then people tend to come back for more. We have a very active community in Santa Barbara, uh, but we have people coming in for our trainings around the country. And I also now, you know, offer the trainings in other locations around. And people, you know, I'll go and work with groups of people who want to learn them as well, hospice organizations and what have you. So that's kind of what I do. And that's how I got there. And thank you for listening. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I'm amazed that there's so you can teach somebody kind of how to induce this shared crossing experience 
the protocols? Yeah, thank you. You know, so so yes, and we got what happened when we were um, in the initial days of the Life Beyond Death groups, um, and we used to call the Pathway Program the Share Crossing Training Program. Mm-hmm. Well, some researchers at UCSB, University of California at Santa Barbara, and the Religious Studies Department and Cognitive uh, Sciences Department got interested because they saw kind of a whole cultural movement happening here that they were moved by. And so they started sitting in on our groups. We had a, you know, one particular, his name is Dr. Michael Kinsella, sitting in um, and studying what is it about these people and about this curriculum that has people so engaged with a topic, death, that m- most people run from. And so he saw this as a religious, spiritual movement, which it, it is in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, and he called it kind of it's part of this new spirituality movement, which is a whole topic unto itself. People that, are, that identify as being spiritual but not religious. Yes. And, uh, and so it, you can, when you say it that way, you kind of get what that means. But then I said, oh, it's fine if you want to study us. I said, but I'm really interested in something else. Can you help me set up a a framework, a scholarly framework that can test our methods. And he did. So, you know, we kind of set up, you know, we, we did all these intakes and all these, you know, all these research processes um, to study the experiences of our participants. So when a death would happen, one, then we would have a series of steps and protocols to follow up with them. We would support them beforehand mm-hmm. in addition to doing the shared crossing training program or the pathway program. We would then work with them through the process if they were open. Sometimes they were in some part, other part of the country, and we couldn't work with them as directly to support them, and that's fine. Um, but they would often call us back and share their experience. And what we found was 50% of our alums to in our shared uh, shared cross, shared um, crossing pathway program, we're having shared death experiences. That's and a lot. Eighty percent of them, eighty percent, were having some sort of shared crossing experience. And I'll just take a moment to describe yes. though the difference there is. If you, you know, if your if your viewers or listeners are interested, you can just go to sharedcrossing.com and mm-hmm. go look up shared crossing spectrum. But there's eight experiences that we found that our alums were having. And one was pre-death premonitions about their death or death of a loved one. Usually happened about two years in advance. Pre-death dreams and visions, uh, which is a kind of communication with a loved one on the other side or an angelic being of some type. Uh, Terminal lucidity, which is this experience of people being able to exhibit behaviors that are physiologically unexplainable. That means they, blind people can see. People with dementia can coherently talk to their loved ones, even though they've been comatose for, you know, a long period of time. That's like they come to, they have a heightened state of vitality Mm -hmm. and are able to converse with people as if they'd been actively involved in their lives recently, when in fact they were largely in a, in a, in a demented state. Uh, and then we had the shared death experience, which I defined, deathbed coincidences, which are these experiences where somebody dies and somebody remote from them, you know, non-local, could be across continents, mm-hmm. um, feels, get some sort of message, or usually it's kind of in a, uh, an, an electrical, energetic uh, communication where they just 
respond by saying, I think so-and-so has died. Yes, I've and heard they, lots they of that. And then they follow it up, and they find out, oh, my God, that's what happened. At that time. And then time, there's post-death yeah. dreams and visions, and then there's direct uh, post-death communication, uh, which is fascinating, whereas people feel like the words we hear is, it's like my deceased loved one is in my head responding to my questions without me even knowing that I'm asking them, I get the response and I know it's from him or her. And then the last piece is post-death synchronicities, which is these experiences of phenomena in the world and our natural world primarily uh, that remind us of the loved one. So that's like you're driving down the road, you think of your loved one and your their favorite music comes on. Mm-hmm. Or you walk into a room and you see uh, the digital clocks all uh, reflecting the time that your loved one died or the date of an anniversary, you know, all this type of, once again, these are more electronic phenomena. And I have, you know, incredible data on this, just reports from self-studies or self-reports. And also animals are involved in this. You know, we live in Santa Barbara on the water here, and people will talk about, you know, send me a sign as they're walking down the beach and all of a sudden dolphins start jumping and whales appear. It's just like, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, so that's kind of that. Um, <laughs> and we can, we seem to be able to facilitate these experiences and we don't really know why. I, my theory is that we basically open people to these capacities, bring them into relationship with a deeper um, consciousness within themselves and with their loved ones. And when they're at a moment where that veil gets thin, then communication happens that they feel is personal and it's very meaningful to them. I started laughing just because, you know, that's that, you know, and I'm thinking we're talking about something so miraculous and I just left in awe that this is possible. You know, I, I am great. Yeah. I'm with you on that, Sandra. I mean, I, you know, it, every day when I'm working with people, I just pinch myself saying, oh, my God, what a world we live in. And seemingly death, um, this event that we are so culturally um, programmed to get space from and push off and be afraid of, is actually a portal to some of humanity's most meaningful transcendent, uh, enlivening, and ultimately um, loving experiences. It's like the best of the human experiences available at the end of a human life, and just before and after. Which is fantastic, because I think in our culture, I mean, I'm an American, you know, we've, death has been kind of a hidden thing. You know, Mm -hmm. nobody's dying in the households anymore. We're not taking care of our, our older folks and, and being part of it. It's all, you know, it's usually something that shows up that, oh my gosh, you just heard so-and-so just died and our people die in a nursing home and it's kept hidden and mysterious and scary. Uh, but not so when we can study it and learn about it and i'm just I, i'm really interested in finding out more personally because i i can imagine years from now when more and more and more people are trained in this personally and have this education how much easier the uh, 
the process will go of our bodily death, but then, you know, we'll share it with a loved one. We'll still be able to communicate it and just how that'll keep our bonds strong through the veil. And, and you know, I couldn't agree with you more. And there are, there's just so much more information. And I should say, like, scholarly research that's coming out that suggests that what was previously thought to be kind of by the modern kind of scientific materialists within our culture, and certainly that's the dominant mindset within our, you know, medical industrial complex, um, is, is that now this data is, is pouring out. It's been there all along, but now there's more and more attention given to it that suggests just what you're saying is that we need to start looking at the human experience um, as incorporating, including this continuation of consciousness, this, this strengthening or continuing of bonds beyond uh, human death. And I'm telling you, in my community here, we talk honestly about you know, this communication that people are having with their loved ones. And, you know, this is not in any way to say that the grief when a, when a loved one dies is not profound yes. and yeah. melancholic. And, but, you know, but, you know, grief is the, is the price we pay for, for the love we shared. Yeah. Nice and, way of putting that. Yes. Yeah. And so we need to make space for that grief as, as natural and, and human and healthy. And yet the relationship transforms. As I say to people, you know, like, you know, death is the end of a human life. It is not the end of the relationship. Mm. The relationship continues and we need to put more emphasis on how we can strengthen that, uh, that relationship in ways that make, that make sense and are healthy. Uh, and, and we're learning how to do that, you know, and I think working with uh, this direct post-death communication and, uh, you know, I think mediums are very helpful in connecting us. You know, when you get a really skilled, qualified medium, um, they, they speak to this as well. But I, I, you know, I don't, I don't, we don't have any, you know, valence towards mediums in our work. We're all about natural experience, develop through consciousness and practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think each and, one of us is a, you know, one of these infinite souls that's here on planet Earth in a human body that we are much more powerful than we know. And, and you know, many of us have some, or I think we all do, you know, some abilities that just are untapped. And if you don't have to go outside of yourself to ex- have some of these experiences, uh, it's great. Yeah. yeah, no, I would... I, once again, I, t- I very much agree and appreciate what you're saying because, you know, we are learning about um, the capacity of the human consciousness. I mean, we, we kind of say that, you know, the amazing capacity of the human brain, but the way I and others in, in the field are looking at this is that consciousness um, sits within a human body and is mediated by a human brain, which is mm-hmm. actually a limiting function mm-hmm, <laughs> to the yes. actual capacity of our brain, which, uh, excuse me, of our, um, of our consciousness, which is able to communicate uh, multidimensionally. And, you know, when we, can, when we can, in a certain way, 
deepen our our connection to and live more from our human our consciousness, which is you know human now, but our consciousness, then we open ourselves to up to so many other experiences uh, that I think are quite meaningful and speak to the deepest nature of of us as eternal beings, as infinite consciousnesses, as you say, as as connected to all that exists in in our world. Um, so yes, I mean this is we're at the I think we're at very um, you know pioneering adventuresome times in this and our exploration of consciousness and and um, you know going beyond the veil. If yeah, you will. I'm super excited. Um, I'm going to plug our symposium for a second mm-hmm. in September. Even this is an invitation to the listeners now to join us in September. But even if you don't go, it is really worth going to the website to see who the speakers are and what kind of things are going to be discussed. Because I think, uh, William, many times I think people in their own journeys uh, don't know about much of this stuff. And we think, oh, maybe there's a medium that can help us or we're suffering from grief. And to know that there actually are organizations out there that there's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, cutting edge things with technology, um, your shared crossing project. I mean, there's there's so much more that we have no idea about. And I'm really grateful to be part of the Afterlife uh, Research and Education Institute, as are you, both asked to be speakers at the symposium, because it, it brings together so many of these uh, voices of people doing things, organizations doing things that people have no idea of. And again, even if you can't join us in September, I urge you to go to the website, afterlifestudies.org, and click on the institute from there and just see some of the stuff that's going on because there's you can you know click on websites of each individual person and and just find out um I, you know i think william and i both are here to empower uh, us all to live a great life and use the tools that are available to us and um and and william i'm so excited about what what you're saying and now let me just ask you know on a personal level so i'm not i don't think close to bodily death but is this something that i could learn about now and have like a foundation in it and a belief in it uh you know and share it with people in my life so that when that time comes you know we've already set the groundwork and know what's coming so that sort of thing yes um Historically, in the early days of the uh, Share Crossing Pathway workshop and training, we focused on somebody who was dying and they would bring a loved one, partner, sibling, you know, a child, I mean, an offspring, son or daughter. And then what we found was, you know, obviously hospice workers of in some end-of-life medical professionals were interested in it, and spiritual seekers got interested in it as well. Um, and then what happened was, and this is for our, re- for our research, we needed to have people dying to, to, to get the research, mm-hmm. but we found there was a lot of interest from others. And so now, we, now, now anyone can take the uh, pathway training, and what we have found invariably in our evaluations, which I'm, you know, so pleased to hear how how moved people are by this experience. People will say, I had no idea that engaging 
and and embracing the reality of you know aging decline and death for myself and for everyone i love would be so meaningful would be so would bring so much life and purpose and focus and appreciation for this life I'm living right now and my relationships. So at the, at the most basic level of enriching one's life, people love the training. And this is something that I, I was, I, you know, we'd always been taught in our spiritual traditions. You know, um, I think of Don Juan uh, in Carlos Castaneda's, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, series on uh, stories or epic of Don Juan, the shaman. And, and Don Juan says, well, live life with death over your left shoulder, uh, as if to say, you know, and he even talks about this, you know, if you have something you're working out in your life, talk to death about it. And in a certain way, we wow. brought this right into the modern day in our, in our, in our you know, contemporary, and that people are really able to review their life look over the things that they regret, look over the things they're grateful for, reconcile relationships, learn practices of compassion and forgiveness and gratitude for themselves and others, really clarify what matters in their life and and articulate it to their loved ones. And so we have a lot of people that just do the workshop because it's so enriching to them at a personal growth level, if you will. And then others, you know, and then, then along with that, you'll learn these protocols that will get you ready for um, how to facilitate shared crossings, to be aware of them and how to facilitate them when, you have, when the opportunity avails. Um, and what people have said as well is that now, anytime there's a death or an illness in their family, they feel confident, they feel comfortable, and they feel inspired to go and help and serve. And so many people will talk about feeling anxious when, when, a, when a loved one gets sick or yes. is dying. They say, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to be with them. I have nothing to offer. Oh, they want to be alone. Or, you know, am I close enough? And what we're finding is, in our community, is that people... Our community, we're, we're ready and willing and, and really content and appreciate the opportunity to go and be with people as they're, you know, living out the end of their life or have a diagnosis of some type. And that's normally what happens is you get a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And then our community, you know, various members will step in and, and, and really help support them. And they come with a presence and a confidence about what it takes to be truly mindful at the end of a human life. And so, though, and so, yeah, we have people of all ages taking it now and really grateful. And, you know, a lot of mental health professionals are taking it because they deal a lot with aging, decline, and death and yes. grief and bereavement, and they feel that this really helps get them in touch with their own uh, mortality. And, um, you know, we, we don't really say a whole lot about the afterlife in these, in these workshops uh, other than to say that everything that we've learned in our research and around the world, you know, points to an, uh, the eternity of a of um, or the continuation, at least, of the human consciousness beyond human death. So uh, it's kind of assumed, but you don't even. I've had atheists and agnostics take it and ask me. I don't want to have to take on any afterlife thoughts or beliefs. And I said, Oh, you don't have to. This is this is just beneficial, highly therapeutic, and mm-hmm. will. You'll feel you'll you'll be grateful. You'll feel 
more alive in your life and more connected to your loved ones as a result of this. And that is what we get over and over again. Our our valuations are thankfully stunningly um, glowing, and so I'm I'm feel grateful that we're able to offer this. Yeah, it's it's tremendous, William. Right now, if people want to learn about it, they physically have to take go to California and take a shared crossing pathway program. Yeah, right now um, we offer the the program uh, the weekend in, the weekend program twice a year. We just had it in May, first week in May. Our next one's on first weekend in November. I believe it's third, fourth, fifth, something like that in November. Um, but then I'm also doing it this uh, July at Omega Institute, and um, so, and then other. I'm also I, other groups will have me go and do that. We don't post those on the webpage if they're private, but if you are interested, mm-hmm. you can call us and we'll tell you, and we can often get people um, who have contracted with us to let other people into the groups. I did a really lovely group down in uh, the Palm Springs area in February, and uh, it was an end-of-life group. Sacred, I think it was called Soul Passages. Um, and it was a lovely group of people, and they were more willing, they were you know, welcoming other people to come on and do that. And so some people came down from Canada to do it with them. (laughs) So one person, I should say, came down from Canada to do it with that group. So there are opportunities, and there will be more. Um, But, yeah, just really just inquire with us, and we'll we'll let you know what's the the next way to do it. Mm -hmm. And And you should also feel like if you're from a group or a community, you know, I'll, I'll come to your area. You know, we'll just, uh, I just do a consulting pathway weekend and I can tailor it if you have particular needs. That's super. You know, I say, I know that when a woman is expecting her first child, so many people give the book, what to expect when you're expecting. And there's all this joy and, you know, the average pregnant woman gets five copies of this book as a, as a gift. And, you know, Mm. what, what if we looked at, uh, death the same way, you know, like, you know, so maybe some of the other cultures do that embrace death and, you know, it's a party and things like that, but really that we are prepared, like there's a, a guidebook to it. There's a, this is how we're going to do it and it's a good thing. And, you know, I just can't help but think how it complements and enhances our current life. You know, I love your yeah. quote, talk to death about it, you know, yeah. <laughs> wow. You know, that would get you making a decision and taking action and and all those things maybe that we've been putting on the back burner. Well, you know, this is really the foundation of Eastern, a lot of the Eastern traditions, you know, most notably Buddhism. I think the Dalai Lama, a paraphrase, has said something like, the bedrock of any mindfulness practice is embracing death. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we don't we don't really emphasize the the notion of transmigration, which is called reincarnation. In mm-hmm. well, that's our translation for it, reincarnation. But it's really it's the migration of the soul or the, some some in consciousness, if you will, from this life to the next life. You know, in Tibetan Buddhism, there's bardos in between the human lives, but then it reincarnates in another life and. Um, so this is a big part of a lot of traditions, and they look at the human experience as just that, a human experience that is used to wake us up. It's all about waking up. We talk about enlightenment, but it's really to wake us up to our nature as you know, consciousness, which is wise and loving. 
Um, and so if we live our lives with that appreciation, um, then we are going to be a lot happier, for yes. sure. Somebody and that's what we find here. Boy, I'll tell you, one, one, one comment, it's not one, it's, it's, it's one comment that speaks to a number of comments we've got, mm-hmm. uh, we receive in the evaluations is, I, it's like this workshop allowed me to see what really matters in my life right now and I've already let go of so many, um, you know, kind of like issues in my life that were burdening me that I thought I needed to work out. I realize I just need to have compassion for myself and forgiveness for myself and others and be done with it and focus on what matters. Now that's waking, waking up to, you know, there's not a whole lot more to hang on to other than being kind to one another, acting as truthfully and wisely as we can, and owning um, when we've harmed ourselves and others and forgiving ourselves. Sure. And, and not that forgiveness is easy and it's a one-time thing, but when we're able to do that, life becomes a lot more lighter and a light, lot more meaningful. And death keeps us that, teaches us that, because death is non-negotiable. It is, <laughs> it is going to take everything from us. <laughs> Oh, death is non-negotiable. That's a good quote. Yeah, exactly. It it will you know strip us down, um, and and relieve us sometimes forcefully of any illusions we have that we can keep anything from the human existence. Mm. And that's a gift to us. That's a gift because we don't need to be burdened by. Um, you know, not just the physical things of our life, but the psycho-emotional things of of relationships that are painful, of of unfinished business, of right. things that we've let ourselves down with. Perhaps we all have these things. Every human life has regret, but death teaches us that we need to come to peace with those that they don't matter as much as we think they do. They matter only as a teachings for us, mm-hmm. and, and and so. I mean, as you can hear me talking, as I hear myself talking, I mean, I death is a great teacher. And not just death, illness. When we get ill, we start seeing our life fall away, and we can get very depressed. And But then if we realize that, my God, this happens to everybody. You know, the alternative is dying suddenly. Eh, I don't think we want that either. I mean, not that no. we, you know, if it happens, it happens. But the point being is, aging, decline, and death is our shared common human destiny. Sure. And it, it can, if we come into right relationship with it, it is a gift. It will allow us to see what matters most. Hmm. I don't know why I'm just getting the visual of somebody skydiving, and uh, you know, without any training beforehand, that is one scary jump. You know, and and thinking of setting, taking the education, learning how it's done, jumping your first time with someone else uh, makes it exhilarating makes it something I can do and so to look at the end of life you know and treat it like any other training that's just essential for you know something that we're all going to share in I just I think William that what will surface or probably is surfacing is just a whole bunch of peace 
within lives and talk about like i i just have this sense that the more you share this and we all continue to share this and the more lives you touch the more this will expand how i mean i just see that there's going to be shared crossing pathway programs in a a number of different states i mean it's going to be a program that just stretches globally and i just see so much available and it all started with you having the courage to to go for it which is a real testimony to who you are and to any human being having a dream to serve others and going for it so thank you well thank you uh, and for kind of well not kind of for clearly stating a, a vision that you're seeing uh we see that as well here and yeah, so for your listeners who are interested, um, you know, please look us up and, you know, if you're interested in doing a training, um, contact us and we, we will be bringing on a certification program because as you just kind of read yeah. our, our kind of, uh, strategic plan, if you will, uh, we're a small organization, uh, but we do, because of the requests we've received, we do want to, empower people to take out the shared crossing um you know vision and curriculum and offer it in their own community so uh, and you don't need to be a mental health worker with any licensure although i think um that helps with some of the pieces around um the natural pieces that arise with grief and bereavement mm-hmm. um but but like i said at this point in time the whole field of uh, end of life is in a very significant transformation. There are fields emerging, um, professional fields like death midwives, mm-hmm. death doulas, uh, end of life counselors, uh, body care practitioners, uh, end of life celebrants. There is a whole like continuum of I say you know, job descriptions for people who want to craft their own way of being uh, conscious at the end of life and the sky is the limit right now because the field is largely undeveloped yeah, you bet it uh, is yeah and and people i just gave a talk this last friday up at our one of our wonderful hospices hospice of santa barbara it's the second oldest hospice in santa barbara it's not a medical hospice it's a hospice dedicated to the uh, you know, mental, emotional, spiritual aspects of end of life and bereavement. And um, what we were talking about was the rot, as more and more information is available, people are now getting that end of life, death and dying, does not have to be a miserable, you know, negative event that you get over right we are and now people have tasted you know the shared crossings and and consciousness and have said wait a minute if this is possible i want this so now we're hearing is people are now and you know we have baby boomers that are that are at the end of life and and are working with their parents and you know family members who are dying and baby boomers have always been agents of change they changed the way we uh, gave birth in in the you know in in the United States in the mm-hmm. west um and now they're touching they're bringing this 
radical demand for re-envisioning end of life and death. And they're wanting not just coping or getting through end of life, they want meaning, they want practices that can bring more connection with uh, loved ones. They want the, the good experiences that they now know are available, and they're demanding them. And so I think uh, as more and more of this gets out, uh, that, that the baby boomers in particular are going to be demanding it. So if you are able, as a practitioner, to offer support to families and lovers at the end of life in this way, you have you have really meaningful work and lovely work of service. I can't tell you how much I uh, adore my work, feel blessed for it. I mean, right now there's a really, you know, a, a kind of a, a member in our community who is a pillar of our community, and she's dying. And I'm just watching this community uh, gather around her. And hey, this is sad. It's challenging. She's she's young. She she's but. We are doing this mindfully. We're connecting with each other. We're grieving together. Mm-hmm. And we are creating meaning and connection at a, at a, at a difficult time that uh, makes this life and this experience worthy of its attention. William, thank you. Thank you for being our guest this past hour. Thank you for giving your passion and your life to service of others in such a big, big way. I mean, death is something that, you know, we've kept in the closet and not talked about and avoided, or so many people have, and just to bring it to the forefront and uh, not only to be empowered through the process, but, you know, it's, it's a good thing, you know, and Oh, wow. I can't say enough good things about it. So I look forward to going to your website, sharedcrossing.com. You've got a Facebook group too, right? You type in Shared Crossing Project. We do, and that um, that's something we're developing. It, okay. it gets episodic, episodically active, um, and we're now at a time where we're kind of summer. We're I'm going to be doing a lot of um, teaching in the summer uh, off site. So when that happens, our Facebook slows down a little bit. Um, so yes, we do have a Facebook page. You can certainly look at previous posts and what have you. But I just tell your listeners, it's not as active as it will be. Um, I should say that. I am in the early stages of putting together uh, or putting a book together, and so in, hopefully in the next year or so we'll um, we'll have um, you know the, the resources you were kind of referring to something that can really you know give uh-huh. people more information about this, um, and so that's forthcoming. And when that happens, we'll you know the Facebook will spark up and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. So. And these episodes will last forever, the internet does, on YouTube and iTunes and everywhere else I haven't posted. Mm-hmm. So you don't know. It could be end of 2018. Somebody's listening to this, and that book is already out in the world, making a profound difference. Well, anyways, William, thank you. Really thank you. Heart to heart, uh, thank you, really, from the bottom of my heart. And I so look forward to meeting you and hearing you at the symposium. Well, likewise, Sandra, it's been a pleasure to be to be in conversation with you and to be able to offer what I've learned about end of life to your listeners. And yeah. thank you for your your you know really educational and inspiring uh, show for the world. 
That's oh, wonderful. That you, that people can access your programs, uh, as you say, you know, uh, infinitely or you know, forever. Which yeah, is great yeah. because I think people will come back and be viewing and listening to shows like yours because. Um, they're necessary and there's not enough of it out there. No, and I love it. I love finding people. You're welcome. And I love sharing these stories. And bottom line is empowering all of us to live good lives. So I want to remind our listener, you can always go to wedontdieradio.com and click on this episode. This is our episode with William Peters and uh, find the link to his Shared Crossing website, sharedcrossing.com. And when the book comes out, we'll update it and have the book uh, link as well. And of course, I'm going to stress if you're available in September, come meet William and I at the symposium. Go to afterlifestudies.org to find out more and to register. Uh, so in closing, my name is Sandra Champlain. I've been your host on We Don't Die Radio. I do believe that life is an education for the soul and that your life here on earth is important. And like William said, you know, if you have an issue in your life, talk to death about it. <laughs> I love that. You know, really embrace your life. Uh, it goes by really quickly, you know, but make the most of it now. And uh, anyways, I appreciate you listening and we'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.